when you or any human being is safely born, safely delivered of the body of the mother. There is a space of time in the place where you were born, so in the space and time of where you were born, there is a experience of what one cannot understand and yet is real. And then both you and your mother hopefully took the next breath and then the next and the next. <clears throat> and in a certain space and time, one's mother and oneself will each separately take his or her or their own last breath and then be of that mystery or of that reality. One is always of that reality and the suffering which the Buddha called dukkha, really the Pali or Sanskrit word for that which one cannot know in place and time. We, we speak of it as if we can't grasp it. The translation is not really suffering. That experience of reality is what the Buddha was seeking. That experience of reality is what every human being is seeking. And yet we can't agree that we are on the same path. And because we engage in that argument, we start to criticize, well, you're not right. I don't, I don't like what you said. In fact, I don't like what you're doing or where you are, or what you have or don't have. <clears throat> and we cause a great cacophony, a great dissonance in what we are listening to. And I, I'm correcting, we are all listening to the same space so that we could aspire to and be inspired by and respire, respiration, respond through the breath, through the spirit, so that as the breath comes into your cells, that is all you are, all you have ever been, and you are realizing this. Oh, And then the space in between that breath and the next one is where I live, someone like me lives. Oh, I heard a rather corrupt colleague of mine who is no longer alive in that incarnation. In my experience, he's come back as a young woman in France. For those who don't believe in reincarnation, his spirit is somehow affecting that woman. But... From my experience, he's come back and is a young orphan, actually, from Lebanon, who was adopted by a French family. And he said many years ago at a meditation evening, which I attended, that the point of reference is <clears throat> what he called the still point of eternity. I love that phrase. It's what I experience. I always have experienced this. Not because I'm special, but because what we call God moved that through me so that I might 
breathe this and aspire and be inspired by so that I respire, I respond to the creator through all of his creation and everyone, including myself, only that, that. In Hinduism, that is what we are seeking. In every religion, we are facing a direction which is attempting to name that so that every breath we might breathe that so that we might cause and then think because the mind follows this. The mind doesn't lead the breath. The mind follows the breath. And so when we hesitate and hold to the mind, which is so common in the modern society, we start to argue anything that doesn't let us take precedence over everything around us. We use the last moment to take precedence. I precede you. I've already thought this. What are we doing next? So we come in and we're defending the precedence. We're defending where we have been and who we think you are and you and you and you and myself. And we, we're already in war with that. But you know, you can't fight with that because that is real. It's who you are and who I am. Why would we fight over this? So the phrase in Eastern traditions from Far East Asia through Asia into South Asia and the Himalayas and across into parts of the Eastern Middle East, we talk about this, the English word, as ignorance. We are ignoring. We are ignoring that. We are ignoring the truth. And so countless beings have sought, often by leaving the world, to find adequate respite for the breath being practiced that the mind could quiet. We might walk into the mountains or live in a little cave or join a convent or a monastery or be austere, go without certain foods, be chaste and not have children, be solitary and live in isolation, or be committed and very responsive to a partner, a spouse, or caring for orphans or the poorest of the poor, or trying to take care of becoming elite and founding a museum. We attempt to utilize creation in the hopes that we might find sanctuary, a place of sacred meaning through which we might be gifted the realization. And so it's not hard, but almost no one does this. So we look to see who goes first. I think we'll all go first. I mean, I, I never leave this place. I'm not special, but I am willing. I am able. So are you willing? You are able. Are you willing? This is our five o'clock traffic passing us by. It's an ordinary day. 
And yet, is any moment ordinary? All of them are. All of them are of the ecstasy in reality of the one. That, that great one. We attempt to name that, my parents taught me to call this God. We could bring names from all of the world's languages. And I would have a young person say to me, none of that's real. You know, I don't believe in any of that. <clears throat> could you help me with a down payment on my house? I go, exactly where do you think that's coming from? Child, young adult. I don't know. I just thought maybe you'd be willing. I'm using this as an example in parents and families I often counsel from around the world. And I could say to the young person, why don't you go to work and help your father? He's 78. Or your mother, she's widowed. And what, what's really being answered is he's not willing. She doesn't want to. Because there's nothing out there, you know. Precedence has shown that it's just a big argument. And so what that young person is experiencing is not actually real, not true, not complete enough. They're in what I call the tantrum. And it would really behoove a lot of people who are anywhere over the age of about 25 to not focus on enabling the tantrum because the earth is screaming. And the young people need to grow up and get their act together and help. And when they face the future, they need to face it. Oh, you know what? Eternity is right here with you and me. It's in my every breath. And that place within me is unafraid and willing. And the mystery of this present moment into the future is in the hearts and cells and destiny of every young being on the face of the earth. Currently here, those in utero safely within their mother's bodies waiting to be born, those coming. And so if one is dedicated to that place which does not change, but is the still point of eternity, then the oneness between oneself and the creator, whatever you want to call him or her or that, a sacred name or a secular name or a scientific name or the void. If someone says the void is empty, I go, well, until you're enlightened enough to experience it as full, and then you have resonance with that which within the whole universe, and then the heart is ecstatically content. And present with meeting that in everyone and everything that crosses one's path. And then the experience of the next moment is the willingness of your cells alive to embody that as a sacred vessel. And that is your path. That is my path. And very beautifully and lovingly, that is our path together, yours and mine. So we just experienced Valentine's Day throughout the world, a holiday actually that goes back to ancient Rome. I've spoken of it in other years. And 
Valentine was apparently this extremely heartful being who wasn't known for his romantic attention, but for his attention to the needs in balance of other human beings. And that is how the festival started being celebrated by the ancient Romans. So I might have sent a note to a member of my family and observed flowers in a restaurant where we dined for Blaine's birthday. Exquisite, the veritable garden of heaven. The chef who prepared the meal, or his staff did, came and spoke to us. And when I saw him last year, I noted to John, there's something wrong in his life. I don't know what it is. He's going through something very hard. And we found last year that this man's child, adult child, was uh, dying. Terrible form of cancer. Similar to the cancer I had in my mid to late 20s. And this young person was seen as not being able to survive unless an almost miraculous match could be found. And one couldn't be found, and couldn't be found, and couldn't be found. And so more and more friends of the family put out the quest of a larger search. And people heard about it in different areas near where I live. And a match was found. But if it had not been found when it was, he would have been gone within probably two to four months after, just like I was told I would be in 1978. And I remember sitting and facing the father and saying something about, you know, I've lived for almost five decades past such a diagnosis. And in the father, I could tell his breath can't find the next breath without anguish. And so I've loved this person for many years, and I just ask God, you know, this person does so much for a lot of people and for some charities and homeless people and mentoring. And I became aware of his adult child and aware, oh, his adult child is trying to find their path. And the philosophies that they've been taught include Jesus, but they don't include everyone else. This isn't because of his parent. It's whatever the young person had taken in was, we can go to the wall of this church and this house, and then I don't know what to do. And I was aware, I remember knowing I was dying and being aware what is coming together through my body that's going to live or die And that's really when my work with world religions began. I couldn't go on with studying to go to medical school. My body wasn't strong enough. My professors were very upset. My mother was very upset. You know, you can't be that sick, honey. And so I've talked about this before. John has asked me, well, you know, you could have gone to medical school and then been an anesthesiologist or done things by sitting and, you know, working with people in that way. And I said, no, I wouldn't have had the capacity in my cells to represent the vital action. But what did happen through my cancer, and I had two forms simultaneously with over a thousand tumors 
throughout my body. What did happen is the still point of eternity within me became like a pulse of the cosmos, like Carl Sagan looking out at the blue speck out there in the dark sky of the universe. Oh, this is the planet where we live. I was aware, it's just me, Beth. And the still point was just unshakable in me. And then a person would come to see me, and then another one, and then someone else would need me, an old professor. And I would be aware, why is this coming to me? And you know, I, I didn't go any place, really. The still point of eternity in me just became a firmament of something one with God, one with reality, breathing through me. And I was willing in my cells to represent it in such love, in every direction, for the sake of all human beings, for the sake of all of life, for the sake of all of creation upon this earth and everywhere in existence. If one's mind asks me, well, what does that mean? I go, why don't you breathe? Well, what do you think, Beth? I go, why don't you breathe and let your mind follow that breath? And then what occurs is in the mystery, the cells are willing to present themselves back to the creator, that great one, the divine, the real. And it tends to become a kind of offering. One is offering oneself back to what one comes from, like the dewdrop out of the ocean. And I'll use an example of several people I've been around in the last period of months. The late Rosalind Carter, who I haven't been around her physically, but I was around the Carter Center in, in the late fall, early winter. And I've noted before, she and her her husband, Jimmy, President, former President Jimmy Carter, decided to address guinea worm, this terrible disease, painful and terrible in Africa. And they have. It's gone. It's become the second disease we've actually pretty much eradicated, along with smallpox. And President Carter is noted for the work, but the person who wished it was Rosalind Carter. It arose in her breath, in her cells. She was willing to be that instrument. And then grace moved through the entire continent of Africa. And millions upon millions of people. There used to be up to 10 million people a year who had this disease. Who's Rosalind Carter? I go, just one human being. And what happens when we invoke the memory, the sentiment of such a being is our breath becomes unafraid to be beside her or beside my late mother who got to meet with her in a White House lawn tea. I've spoken of this before with my godmother, my mother's older sister Genevieve, older sister Genevieve, who was my godmother. So my mother, my Aunt Jen, and Rosalind Carter were breathing together, willing, just like me, 
Are you willing? Not because I say so, but because of your own path, are you willing to breathe what you come from? As soon as we take that breath, the universe starts to meet us through that, that still point of eternity in everyone and everything. It starts to become a responsibility, a responding. One is responding to that in everyone and everything. So with the chef's child, adult child, I was aware when I heard of the challenges and the gravity of the illness. Well, I lived through such an experience. No one believed that I could except possibly my mother, who really was still in the denial of not wanting it to be real. The oncologists were like, it's not possible. You can't live. It's, there's no cure. Not possible. No treatment. So I talked to several doctors during the time when I was recuperating, and they would let me know that what you're going through isn't possible. Right. Beth, what you're going through is not possible. I go, okay. And, you know, I'm very intuitive. I could perceive their thoughts and their emotions. They want it. One of them said, well, I want you to live, but you just can't or you just won't, you know, because you're just going to have to prepare your family. And so I listened to them. And in the still point of eternity, moving through them, there's nothing more they would have wished than for me to be able to become well. They just didn't know how. And yet someone did, and our paths crossed, and I became well. And I note that I never became strong again physically. So when one takes that breath of the still point of eternity, the place which is not changing and the place which is changing are like a confluence of great rivers crossing. We will never pass that way again. So when one is willing to meet eternity everywhere, one becomes the willing child of God, the willing dewdrop of the ocean of grace. So what I brought to the young person, and I've never met them, probably never will, is I asked God, would you bring a miracle to them like you did to me? You know, unless you need to take them now, and he has to do something else, and his family has to do something else, couldn't you make his path universal enough? Like you did Houston Smith when he was going to prove the Tibetan Buddhists were frauds. You know, Houston was the son of a missionary, and he was going to prove with the tape recorders and his dissertation the frauds of the, the monks of the Himalayas. And instead he found, wait a minute, something's going on here in their chanting. And he could experience it. It was way beyond his mind. And then he, he fell into a yogic sleep. And then he was aware, what am I going to do now? Who am I now? And he started studying all the religions of the world. So I was aware this young person just needs the universe, the world, including Jesus. And I just prayed for him in that universal way. And so in talking with his father last week, what I found was the father said, not only did the 
person come forward where we found a match, not only did the surgery succeed, but within two to three months, my child wasn't just all right. They were at 100% of their possible health. So the reason I'm talking about this is, to me, that's a miracle. Somehow, in the place where we are all one, in the still point of eternity, there's no war. We are all remembering heaven imperfectly, breathing that we might recollect enough of heaven to willingly breathe heaven so that our cells practice heaven. And that living prayer and practice becomes one's path. And one's path meets that in another human being. And one embodies this to the best of one's humble, dignified ability as a virtuous life. And then there's a birthday. This one happened to be Blaine's, and Blaine blew his candle out on his birthday cake. And then, and then, and then what? And then what happened? And then what happened? That's up to you. And as for me, I will be breathing and praying and practicing into eternity as best I am able, everywhere, for everyone, for all of life, for everything, always, everywhere.